And uh, we were encouraged by it. And I think other people were encouraged by it because we heard good, good encouragement from it. And so we decided that today for our Christmas service, this is the Christmas service, we're going to do it similarly. Um, we've really found over the years at our church, I think other churches would affirm this, that theology is best learned in community. Uh, if you're isolated and by yourself, you can tend to think things and create things that may be not accurate. And so it's best to learn from one another and to have your assumptions challenged lovingly by each other. And so this is another way of, I think, demonstrating that. Um, our text this morning is John chapter 1, 14 to 18. It is, in God's providence, a perfect text for Christmas. Again, we didn't plan it ahead like this. This is just how it happened. And so I'll read that in a second to begin our time. Our plan is this. Each of the guys will take one of those verses in that section and lead a brief discussion. So make a few comments on it. Again, we're tying it to the celebration of Christmas. And you'll see me up there with my computer. I'll just be taking notes, seeking to summarize the main ideas of the discussion and then communicate those at the end. And then John will wrap it up with a couple points of application. We seek to do this every time we study scripture together. The so what? Now what? How do we then take what God is showing us in his word and apply that and live that out? So that's our plan. I should note our, the bishop, Stan Cunningham, was supposed to be here today. He is at home with some terrible back pain. So we're so sorry, Stan. Hope you feel better soon, our brother. Uh, sorry you can't join us, but he's with us in spirit for sure. So, yes, let's pray for him now. Lord, thank you for Stan. Our dear brother and father in the faith, so many. We pray you'd encourage him. We pray you'd give him comfort. We pray you'd heal his back. He's also been battling a cold. We pray you'd heal that. Encourage him, Lord. Pray today, even by the end of the day, he'd feel remarkably better, God. In Jesus' name. We also pray for this text, Lord, as we seek to grow together as a community of believers through your written word. Give us wisdom as we focus on this cultural celebration of Christmas, of Jesus coming. It means something so much deeper and bigger and better for those of us who belong to Jesus. So we pray, O oh God, as we dive into your word and continue to sing songs about it, that you would just give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read the text. It's John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Amen. We starting, guys? Let me read that first verse again, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So we have here the word, the logos, the word of God, Jesus who put on flesh. Uh, And we call this the incarnation. The word incarnation has the root word carne, which is the same as it is in Spanish. And uh, which that means meat. Quite literally, he is saying that the word put on meat and became just like us. And then he became human. So this is one way to remember. If you buy chili, you can buy chili con carne or just chili. And that's the important part, the con carne. Jesus put on meat and came to dwell among us. And the word dwell also comes from the word tabernacle, uh, which has a dual meaning. On the one hand, uh, it's a tent, that he came to build his tent among us. And it also is uh, the holy tent where the Spirit of God rested. This is where the Israelites uh, set up a tent and where God rested when they were wandering in the desert. And at the same time, and what they saw at the time is that the, uh, God's presence came as a cloud above them and a pillar of fire at night. And that leads into the second verse where John saw his glory as the son of God. And uh, this is a bold statement. It isn't that Jesus just came uh, like Clark Kent, disguised and hiding his superhuman strength. Instead, he came fully human and fully God. Not one or the other, but both. And so when we come to know Jesus, I think the main thing is that we come to know the full God and that he's relatable as one of us and also God himself. Thoughts? I mean, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot during this Christmas season. It's just that idea of Christ coming in the flesh and dwelling among us, not just, not just, you know, from afar off, but coming near and being with us. Um, yeah, that, that idea that the great I am, the commu- creator God of the universe, humbled himself and came as this little helpless infant. And what a wonderful image that is to us. And it's so unique, so different from the way that we generally perceive perceive God as being unseeable, unknowable, distant, except when he reveals himself. And this is the way that he chose to reveal himself. And um, I think it's uh, obviously appropriate to, uh, you know, as and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, if we look at Isaiah 7, the prophetic, um, prophetic proclamation, that Isaiah 7, verse... Um, Uh, 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, as we all know, Emmanuel means God with us. And uh, as it relates to glory, I I read Piper's John Piper said this about about his glory said, as we behold the uh, as we behold Jesus, we see the divine transcendent beauty of God. And we also see the radiance of God. I thought that was beautiful. And yet, how did he present that radiance and that glory? Uh, He did it in a manger uh, in the middle of the night 
in a do-nothing town. Literally, when he dwelt among us, he could have come to the most austere family with, you know, it's not beyond God's ability to have decided that that line that Jesus was coming through wouldn't be the most wealthy, the most royal, the most powerful. Instead, he came through the most humble of beginnings. And it's a call. It's a call to us if we are chasing Jesus and we truly want to shed his light and we want to share that, we have to be willing to humble ourselves. And that, I mean, I think of the, the Magi when they first arrived and saw Jesus. They removed their fine garments and their rings and their jewelry and, and they humbled themselves before the baby king as the baby king had humbled himself before mankind. So that's our call. I think my last thing uh, that a lot of religions have uh, examples of gods who became and came in human form. Uh, John's audience had Greeks and Romans, all who had in their mythology those uh, types of beings. Um, I think of uh, the Hindu religion has many like that as well. Um, but what Christianity is unique is that uh, those gods all retain their they weren't really fully human. They remained gods, and they kind of did their own thing. Um, what we have is a fully relatable God who was fully human and who was fully God, um, who laughed like us and cried like us and hurt, got hurt like us, who had all the vulnerabilities that we have, but also was the God that knew us deeply. So I think as we come and see this story, we see someone who is as relatable as you can get, who understands where you at and knows what your experience is like because it's just like us. I'll read it one more time. We'll move to the next verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. We've got a little bit of a, you have to kind of think about this timeline a little bit, because it can get a little confusing. It starts off in verse 15. Um, this is he of whom I said, He who comes after me. But John hasn't said that yet in, in our text. That is actually repeated and reiterated in starting in verse 19. But John is pointing the way to Christ. This is important because when important events, when important people would come, they would send a herald out to prepare the way for them. And this is John. He is the herald of the coming of the Messiah. He is calling it out. Um, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So John was born first, then Christ was born. But Christ as the eternal God, the eternal word, the eternal logos preexisted John. So he came after him, but he was before John. One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Holy Night. And one of my favorite lines is, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, pining isn't a word we use a lot in modern English, but it's that deep desire, that longing, that anticipation, that, that desperate waiting for something is what pining speaks to. So the world 
was lost and in darkness and sin and error pining away for this Savior. And then here comes John and says, I'm going to point you to this guy. I'm not the guy, but I'm going to point you to the guy. Um, just in keeping with um, like what Keith mentioned about, I mean, the theme of humility, um, even though it's, it's not directly the, the point of these, these verses, um, I, uh, you're, you're talking about the um, God in the flesh, God's only son allowing himself to be wrapped in, in human flesh and to descend, to, 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 to live among us. I mean, that alone is the ultimate, I mean, ultimate act of humility. When we do communion, we'll talk about also uh, the humility of, of, of Christ's sacrifice for us. But then you look at, at the reality of who does God send before him? He sends a guy like John. Camel hair, that was what he wore. That was a style, I guess, for him. Anyway, camel hair and uh, what ate wild locusts and honey. Now we're talking, wow. And uh, that, that, you know, that was uh, um, this, this, this talk about humility. Some would consider him not even a civilized man. Proclaiming, uh, proclaiming the, paving the way for the Messiah. Amazing. I'll read the verse one more time. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And so we move to verse 16. For from his fullness we have all received Grace upon grace. I think um, it's not uncommon to think about when we serve Jesus to think about the things that we give up or the things we lose or the things we can't participate in or the things we feel perhaps our freedoms are curtailed or different things like this. But in the, the announcement of the incarnation, there is this declaration of all that we have been given. All that God has given us in Christ for from his fullness, just to what my brothers have said, Jesus wasn't partially God or a little bit God or an emanation of God. No, he is fully God and fully man. And from his fullness, we have all received that us in this room and us watching at home who've believed in Jesus are recipients of extravagant, unbelievable, I, th I think D.A. Carson used the word scandalous even to speak of the cross and resurrection, this, this unbelievable, undescribable gift of grace upon grace. So I think a, a big message of the Holy Spirit from the incarnation verses is not to focus on what we've lost or what we don't have or what we've given up for our faith, but to flip that on its head and say, what an extraordinarily blessed recipient I am. Grace upon grace, it just keeps going. It's a cup 
that has been full days ago, and yet the cup is still getting poured into. CJ, I like to read this verse and replace grace with the definition of grace. And from his fullness, we have all received unmerited favor upon unmerited favor. Reminding it, reiterating that back to us. Oh, yeah, that that unmerited favor that you got, it was both unmerited and you've received favor because of it. It's It's repeating the same thing twice. You received unmerited favor and, oh, yeah, it was unmerited favor. You've received grace upon grace. Grace stacked on top of grace, literally. Yeah, I think, I mean, with that and what you guys both said and what Eric said about humility, it really means that there's something that we need. That to to say that it's unmerited, it means that there must be a weakness that, that was to be poured over, and that clearly is our sin. And you need to be aware of that, I think, to be able to receive this well, is to recognize that we needed a Savior, that we needed someone to come into the world and rescue us. And uh, other than that, you don't really recognize or appreciate that grace because you think you have it all. Uh, And what we have here is John, who very clearly knew his weaknesses, very clearly knew that he was uh, was sinful and needed this grand miracle to occur. And and when you look at the words that he uses, I mean, I think John's trying to drive a point home here. He says, when he arrives from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what does he give us? Well, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Mm -hmm. Grace and truth, grace and truth, fullness and grace. And it's, it's a reminder that every time that we fall short, that's why Christ came. You know, that's, that's the whole point behind this is that we don't have anything to give Jesus. You know, speaking back to what do other religions follow and see and, you know, what do uh, the mythological gods require of its people? It's that they give something. That they, that they provide something to make that God fulfilled and true. Our God says, you have nothing, and I love you. And so I am providing you with this grace upon grace because I love you. Verse 16 again. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Going on to verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One of the most (laughs) encouraging verses in all of scripture. Uh, You know, when we teach children's church, we drive this home all the time. And I think some of our parents don't love the way that we present it because we say to our kids all the time, the rules and the law that were given to us are not given to us so that we can hit the standard. Uh, We've had more than one parent reach out and say, did you tell my kids they don't have to obey? No, (laughs) that's not what we said. (laughs) We said that this law that was given to us was given to us so we realized where the bar was, and that in and of ourselves, of our own devices, we have no ability to meet 
that standard. It's to show us who God is. God is perfect and amazing and full of strength and hits every standard and then some. And then as he begins to reveal himself, he presents the law and says, here is the standard of what I need. This is, this is my standard. I am God. And then he says, because I know you can't meet the standard, I am going to provide you a great rescue plan to redeem you that the blood of my son will cover a multitude of sins. And so as we're looking through this, even, even the punctuation in the phrase, for the law was given through Moses. Okay, so we're beginning to see part of the picture as it's broken up there. And then in fullness, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's just the reminder of who we are, what we need. And then as Christ humbles himself to become a man, the incarnation, what a beautiful sacrifice, what a beautiful thing it was from the get. You know, we all read John 3.16 and we love it. And often we forget 17, that Christ didn't come to condemn the world. And that's the whole point of, of this verse is that Christ came to deliver us that grace and truth. So this with the, you know, the passages that precede this about Christ being the light of the world, I've been kind of wrestling and fleshing out this analogy. Um, how many of in here have ever been down to the Calabria River Maritime Museum and toured the light ship down there? I see a couple hands out here. So there's, there's a light ship that used to sit off the mouth of the Columbia. And the history of this light ship is originally they didn't use it. There was a lighthouse built at Cape Disappointment. When they first started, you know, ship traffic was picking up on the Columbia, they built a lighthouse there. But what they figured out was that lighthouse wasn't sufficient. They were still having ships miss the Columbia Bar. They were still having ships wash up on the beach and wash up on the rocks and wreck. And so they said, we need this light ship. A, a light up on the hill is not good enough. We need to send a ship with a light out where the ships are. And they put it out there, and it rode on the ocean. It was tied to a big anchor, and it, and it rode the waves, and it went through the same storms and the same things that the, the ships that were trying to find the Columbia went through. And that's kind of like this analogy of the law and Christ. The law got us close. The law showed us where God was, who he was, his holiness, but it couldn't get us to where we wanted to go. And so he sent Jesus, the true light, to walk among us, to go through our storms, to feel our discomforts, to experience our temptations, and Christ shows us the way and brings us home to where we need to be. Um, yeah, again, I don't want to deviate, but wow, these verses, um, these verses really, there's so much theological depth here. And these verses are really, uh, and it was it was mentioned, I think, earlier, a distinction between us and other false religions that have gods, that have uh, paths of, of, of salvation or have a form of propitiation uh, of some kind, uh, appeasing, uh, the appeasing of gods that are angry because of sin. But 
So here we are, you know, uh, in these verses on, on this Sunday before Christmas. And the huge distinction is, is our God, the mystery of the gospel, his plan was to send his only son to become our substitute, to, to be the propitiation uh, because we could never live up to his standard. You know, I think of, it, it doesn't, it, it, I think of the law. The law is the speed limit. I go out on the freeway. The law, what's the speed limit? It's always posted, right? Well, my wife always reminds me that I'm not going that speed. <laughs> so, I, I, again, in, in other religious view, every time I exceed that, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm breaking the law. And, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it could be without grace upon grace and the truth of the gospel, as it says in these verses, I would just be living in complete condemnation every time I get into my car, not because I'm trying to sin, because it's just unavoidable. And I think the law is it, the law is that standard that we can never meet. And yet God, the mystery of the gospel is that that God sent his only son and we, we celebrate we're celebrating his incarnation, which, again, didn't make any sense to anybody as it relates to how God, the God man would be announced to the world. <laughs> Just absolutely amazing. There is so, so much here. Uh, we'll continue, but this, this could be a year-long uh, message just in these verses. One thing that it reminds me is that uh, the purpose of the law was to, and as it was summated, was to teach you how to love God and to love your neighbor. And, uh, but on its own, the law could not make you do that. It could not make you love God, and it could not make you love your neighbor. And in some ways, because of our human sin, we try to find ways around doing those very things. But that's why God sent us Jesus, who gave us the spirit and truth of those very things, that through Jesus we can love God and through Jesus we can love our neighbor. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the ESV. It's a little challenging, so I'm, uh, th that's a little challenging to understand at just uh, first read. So I'm going to read it in the NIV and some other translations, make it a little more clear, clear. Here we go in the NIV. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God, and in the closest relationship with the Father has made, made him known. So here we have the, the, the you know, another, a, another reason. Imagine the concept of God for any, anyone, any culture. Um, here comes Jesus, a man, fully human, yet fully God. We can relate, we can relate to that. And that's why often people, uh, a lot, often people reject Christ because it couldn't, no, no, no. It, could, it just can't have a, a God-man. You can't have somebody fully human and fully God that I can put my trust into. He, he had to be just a historical figure. We all know that that is not true. But so Jesus made God known. He revealed, he in effect revealed uh, a, a glimpse of God to, to the world. In fact, um, if you look at verse uh, in, in John 14, 9, when Philip was um, pressing Jesus, Jesus kept talking about the Father. And uh, later in John, we'll, we'll obviously go through this. 
um, Philip kept pressing, uh, Jesus, show us the Father, show us the Father. And Jesus said, you know, he, he went through a uh, discussion with him, like, don't you know by now? Uh, but then he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, thought I had a thought, but it just escaped <laughs> me right that moment. I made the eyes like I was going to do that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just that it, it summarizes really the fact that we can know God and, ha- and that he can be known, um, which I think is what we desperately crave. Uh, I think I mean, one of the things I think about in this pandemic is our loneliness and how... Um, fact of loneliness is that you want somebody to know you and uh, you want someone to understand what you're going through and um, and I think the opportunity here is that through Jesus that's who we have someone who knows us and someone who can help us through that uh, no matter what circumstance we're going through and one where there's no end to how he can relate to us well and when I look at it too um, you know no one has ever seen God but the one and only son and this is how much our God loves us, okay? He loves Moses and brings him up to the mountain to give him the law, right? He loves the Israelites enough to appear as, you know, a pillar of fire and as a cloud to follow. And to us, you know, to, to this group, he says, I love you so much that I'm going to send my son so that you can dwell with me there. And then he loves us so much that he gives us the holy spirit to live in us that's who we get you know all the time when we look through scripture we see these these iterations and these uh these truths revealed and we see god the father god the son god the holy spirit and what a call that is that god the holy spirit is alive and living in us like, what a call that is, that that is because we have not seen God the Father, but he has been revealed to us through the truth of his word, through the truth of his son, and then the Holy Spirit as a gift to live in us and show us that truth. That I'm sorry. Like, you want to talk about not being one to yawn at the spectacular. The God of the universe loves us enough to give himself to us that we could have truth in life amazing um so many thoughts uh so i'll I'll limit when you think uh, in terms of our you know was was the early church uh, even the apostles who got to walk with jesus were were they more advantaged than we are living out the reality of the mystery of the gospel being fulfilled in the great commission imagine I, so I always have this picture I always have this picture we're always excited to get to heaven because there's certain prophets and apostles that we want to track down because we want to ask them questions what was it like well, I think I think many of them are excited to meet us and approach us and ask us what was it like what was it like to see the gospel go spread throughout the world what was it like and so I don't believe we are at a disadvantage at this, be, at this time in history that we're living, even though we look back and we imagine, can you imagine uh, what it would have been like to, to, to actually know Jesus or, or even, even just be 
you know, in the early church, what would it have been like? Um, again, no one has ever seen God, but the only one and only son who is himself God, I'm reading the NIV, and in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Amen. One thing that we do most weeks is we seek to synthesize the main ideas of the text. We have this worksheet that we work through. It's from an organization called Simeon Trust. And they ask you, summarize the main point of this verse in one, or one sentence. It's the purpose of it is synthes you know, synthesize it to, to really understand it. So that's what I'm going to seek to do this morning. I've been taking notes as we've been walking through this. It won't be one sentence, sorry. But it'll just be a few sentences to kind of just writing notes on the different things that we've talked about as we've studied the scriptures, a summary or a synthesis of that. We're, we're celebrating Christmas. We're celebrating the incarnation. And what we've seen in these texts is that Jesus put on meat. He, he became a tabernacle, a tent, dwelled with us. A lot of religions have gods that come to earth, but, but our God was human fully. Therefore, his experience of relating to us is fundamentally different from every other divine God coming to earth because he relates to us. John was the herald of this. He's not the guy, but he points to the guy. And the focus on this incarnation is not what we lose, but what we receive. Grace stacked upon grace. Unmerited favor upon unmerited favor. The law was the standard. It was the guide. It was the goal. A standard we cannot obtain. Jesus comes in the incarnation. He meets the demands of the law. And he takes us to where the law is meant to take us, but we can't get there without him. He revealed God to us. If we see Jesus, we see God. There's been this unifying theme within that has kind of wrapped all of this up of humility. Our God came in a humble way. And to receive him requires humbling oneself. John will tie it up with some application. Yeah, so what's our response? When we come to scripture and we read it, it's appropriate to respond to it, not just let it sit out there. And I think of it all, I think our my proposed responses, there's three, and I think it's all related to our idea of knowing God. Because that's what this is really about, is like, is this a God that we can know? And the first is really, John's invitation, he has seen the God, he has seen Jesus and he knew him and he wrote a huge book about it. And I think the invitation is for us to read it and to study it. And I think along with that is to study scripture. The words of God are contained in it. And so if we want to know him, we should study scripture. So I think my first thing is study scripture, invest in your time in the word. That's how you will know God. And this is a God you can know and relate with. My second one is is that is related to the idea of you know other gods. It's hard for us in our common culture to think that there are other you know gods that we would we would worship. 
but ours tend to carry different names than the gods that we see in mythology. All of them tend to represent a cheap substitute to the true Jesus. And I think many of us tend to gravitate more easily to those cheap substitutes, whether that's money or that's a relationship or something you've elevated that's going to somehow fulfill everything that you hope or want. And uh, we all know that these things that we have substituted for the true Jesus really fall short. So I think the invitation this Christmas season is to let those go and do go for the true real thing. Go for the thing that has carne in it. So, and then the last thing that I would say, I think is around what I was thinking about with loneliness. Um, I work in hospitals, I take care of COVID patients. One of the things is that we have to limit their visitors so that they don't get COVID. And these folks are intensely lonely in their worst hour, in their most lonely. And it is comforting to know that even if they don't believe, I know Jesus is by them. And I know Jesus is by you, whatever loneliness you're going through. So I think in this Christmas season, my encouragement to you that as you pray, as you invest in Jesus, know that he is by you and that you're not alone, even if you might feel that intensely. I think we ought to close in prayer, I think, with those words. Lord Jesus, we are so blessed that you performed a miracle that was in the making from the beginning, something that you had planned long ago, you did entirely out of love, out of no benefit to yourself, but all for us. You came and became a vulnerable baby. You became one like us who feel weak. And uh, I pray, Lord, that as we uh, get in touch with that, as we feel our weakness, that you would fill us with your love, that in the overabundance of love that we feel, that we would have compassion and mercy for others who are lacking in love. And that we would find ways to be able to care for them and love them. And we long, Lord, as you have come into this world as a hope that uh, we would really see you come again and end all the things that we daily suffer. And I want to thank you for that suffering that points us to you. The suffering that reveals our weaknesses and recognize that we need you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us a wonderful time of joy wherever we're at, even if the circumstances don't merit joy that we would still feel that deeply. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your presence. We long to worship you now and in the time you come back. Amen.